0: Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already and please share widely with others as well. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today, it is a pleasure to welcome onto the show Cameron McCollum, who is the director of the Sudro Global Justice Institute at Pepperdine University School of Law. Today, we're talking about access to justice in the developing world, and some of the structural challenges that manifest themselves. We're gonna be looking specifically at Uganda and Ghana, two of the countries where Cameron and the team are very involved in. Now, before we kick things off, I'd like to extend a heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence-powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients, ranging from large corporates, such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With six million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they are able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. And in 2019, their mission-based technology approach led The Economist to calling them an AI for good company. So do check them out at quilt.ai. As I mentioned a minute ago, today it's a pleasure to welcome onto the show Cameron McCollum, who is the director of the Sudro Global Justice Institute. And we're talking about access to justice in the developing world. So without further ado, Cameron, a big heartfelt uh, welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you, Alberto. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Well, it's good to see you. You're out there in California. I'm here in London. Why don't we kick off by finding out a little bit about your organization? What um what's the Sudro Global Justice Institute all about?
1: Absolutely. So, the Sudro Global Justice Institute is a nonprofit, an international nonprofit, based out of Pepperdine University, uh, as you mentioned, the law school particularly, and we work with governments around the world to uh, promote human rights and uh, particularly promote access to justice for uh, vulnerable populations. So as you mentioned, we work in Uganda, Ghana, uh, Nigeria, uh, and and Rwanda, and a few other countries as well. And so the Institute started um, pretty organically, I would say, in the the mid-2000s, doing general human rights advocacy work uh, and things of that nature. Uh, but really took off in about 2010 when uh, Pepperdine's now president, actually uh, Jim Gash, uh, was was a professor at the law school and began traveling to Uganda to uh, help out post. Uh, I don't know if you remember in the late 2000s the LRA Joseph Kony in northern Uganda civil war, uh, and a bunch of lawyers just started traveling there, uh, and 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 a partnership was formed. Uh, between the uh, Ugandan government, the Ugandan judiciary and uh, Pepperdine University, where we were helping them on a couple of legal reforms. And Jim began traveling to Uganda and on one trip uh, in 2010, I believe, was uh, actually visiting a a remand home, which in Uganda is uh, basically a a juvenile detention facility. And Jim came across uh, a, a young guy's story named Henry and Henry was in the remand home and, and you walk into these remand homes and obviously the conditions are, are are not great you've got kids you know locked up in these small spaces for long periods of time and so it's just obviously heartbreaking but but Jim got to hear Henry's story and come to find out that you know Henry had been sitting in this remand home for you know quite some time with you know not no access to his family no access to an attorney and Jim starts hearing his story and Uh, you know, it turns out that Henry has essentially been falsely accused of two murders uh, and he has nobody there to fight for him. Uh, And, and that sort of, uh, or obviously impacted Jim, you know, he's like, like, I'm a lawyer. I, you know, I live in the United States. What can I do? And he's, so he ended up, you know, sort of making a radical decision uh, to do something about it. Uh, And, Jim moved to Uganda for about six months in 2012, uh, and really took up Henry's case. So he was actually the first uh, American lawyer ever given special permission by the Uganda High Court to represent a Ugandan citizen in court. Uh, and so Jim represented Henry in his case, uh, and actually uh, and, and won, and had the charges uh, dismissed and, and and dropped. And so so from that point forward i mean obviously henry's life was changed it's uh it's such a beautiful story actually we uh we we made a a documentary about this a couple years ago called remand that sort of highlights our work in henry's story but um, henry today is a uh, has a family and is a practicing doctor and it's just this beautiful story of of redemption and and the power of advocacy because uh, if you know Jim or someone hadn't had intervened, uh, he would have statistically uh, likely stayed in prison for several more years uh, without any sort of advocacy, and who knows what would have happened at, uh, at when his trial date came. Uh, and and again, these are two you know crimes which he which he did not commit, and so uh, that was sort of the 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 genesis really of what the Sudro global justice institute has become today and, and and during his six months there uh jim helped the government uh refine the the speed at which juvenile cases were handled uh, so we helped them uh, affect their or change their policy a little bit to, to provide quicker access to justice for uh for youth and so that was sort of the genesis of the institute and we have uh, been in a really deep uh, partnership and friendship with with the Ugandan government and judiciary since then. So we have spent the last uh, decade or so uh, working alongside them to implement broader access to justice initiatives, uh, just like the one we did for for youth back in 2012, but for uh, the entire adult population. Uh, And
0: and we have uh, continued to do uh, similar uh, uh, projects like that as well. Yeah, fascinating. And tell me a little bit about who works at the Institute, uh, how much time you guys spent in California, how much time you're out there in the field. Um, what does it look like?
1: Yeah, so uh, as, as you noted, I'm, I'm the director of the Institute. I have a assistant director. We have uh, we have an executive director uh, who is uh, part of the you know executive team of the university. So uh, Jim Gash, as I mentioned, the president is still uh, very involved. Uh, in you know the he's very passionate about about this work and has this amazing vision to really leverage all the resources of pepperdine to uh to serve uh countries around the world uh, as, as as much as we can and so uh he he still is involved uh to some extent obviously he's really busy running the university itself uh but i'm the director in the in the day-to-day uh, sort of operations we have an assistant director and then we have uh, a director for West Africa uh, based in Accra, Ghana. We have a director for East Africa based in Kampala, Uganda. Uh, and then in both of those places, uh, we uh, employ and are training up um, local attorneys uh, and, and advocates. So we we hire and train uh, Ugandans and, and Ghanaians um, to uh, to implement these projects. So uh, I personally uh, am based out of uh, here in, in Los Angeles. Uh, and and do most of my work from here, but we travel to, or I travel to uh, Africa probably three to four times a year, largely quarterly, uh, and, and what we do uh, when we go there is we're typically uh, going into the prisons and actually uh, providing, and we can get, we'll get more into this, but we're actually uh, providing access to justice or pro- providing legal counsel to, uh, Accused individuals on pretrial detention in prison. So we actually go in for a week. About to about to go again here in June for the first time since the COVID pandemic, and, and we'll be in a couple of prisons for a week. Uh, and basically, we set up uh, in partnership with the Ugandans, We set up court inside the four prison walls and and and, and bring justice to the people. Uh, so it's it's a really really uh, yeah remarkable time. But yeah, we we do have uh, staff and country who are there, uh, you know, working every day. Yeah
0: what are the main challenges that you're seeing there? And I, I imagine the, the challenges may very well be different in Uganda versus Ghana and other countries, but if you had to distill the state of affairs and and what are the most pronounced issues that you're trying to address, what would those be?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, and I would say that the umbrella term that I would use is, is just access to justice uh, in general, which I would define as just the ability of any person You know, regardless of their status, regardless of their income, to be able to use or tap into the legal system to defend themselves, not only defend themselves, but to do so uh, in a timely manner, Uh, your ability to to have a voice. Uh, And the reality is that in many countries around the world, access to meaningful justice is uh, largely non-existent. Uh, at least for those who don't have the means to pay for it, and I want to be, and, you know, I want to be clear that we have our own, you know, issues here in the West. Uh, obviously, uh, access to justice is is an issue here as well. So, you know, if you're in the United States, for example, you know, and you're arrested of a crime, uh, you are if you can't afford an attorney, you are provided one uh, within a you know a couple of days, uh, and you provided a public defender. Uh, now, a public defender has, you know, might have a uh, fifty cases on their docket at any time. And if you have in the United States the the wealth or the means to pay for a private attorney, uh, you are paying for somebody who specializes in and what you're what you're needing, and you're paying them to for the lion's share of their time to focus on your case versus somebody who doesn't have the means, who is a public defender who's stretched way too thin. So obviously, there's still an issue here uh, of equity between, uh, you know those who have the wealth to afford an attorney and those who do not. Uh, but the reality in uh, the developing world or in many places, I would I'd actually just call it the majority world um, where we're certainly in the minority in the sense of some of the privileges that we have. And so the reality in, in much of the world is that uh, if you are uh, accused of a crime uh, and you are put in prison and you don't have the access to a to uh, or the the ability to afford an attorney, uh, you will uh, sit in prison on pretrial detention for, you know, historically, depends on the country, years. We're not talking, we're not talking weeks or months, we're talking about years. Uh, I was actually just on the phone yesterday with uh, the Attorney General's Office of uh, of another country in, in West Africa, talking about some of these reforms that we're wanting to work on together. And, and this individual mentioned that in, in their country, Eighty percent of their uh, entire prison population, so we're talking tens of thousands of people. Eighty uh, percent are on pretrial detention, meaning eighty percent of the prison population has not been convicted of a crime, so it's sitting on pretrial detention. And the average wait time to trial in many of these countries, in this country in particular, is three to four years. So if you're accused of a crime, uh, you can't just you know call your lawyer and get a hearing. You're going to wait three to four years and, and in uganda where we've been working for quite some time now uh historically that number was closer to five six seven years so again we go into the, the prisons you know several times a year uh and we, we're still seeing cases from time to time that were generated back in 2013 2014 you know so somebody who hasn't spoken with an attorney um and they've been in prison for six seven years and have never spoken to an attorney
0: and also and also, if I read correctly, just not even the opportunity to plead guilty or otherwise, right? C-
1: correct. So this is the that is the uh, one of the the main sort of underlying issues here is, uh, you know, many, many of these countries they don't have or don't provide the ability to plead. So we, you know, the term we use here uh, is, is plea bargain. Um, and so, you know, you can imagine, I mean, in the United States and many of, uh, you know, Western nations that. The number of cases that actually go to trial is very low. I think in the US, it's something like 97% of or 98% of all criminal cases are are disposed of through some sort of plea, somebody pleading guilty or some sort of deal that happens outside of trial. Um, And if every case here or in England went to trial, you would imagine there's just there. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of cases. There's just no way to handle that sort of loaded trial. Trial takes a lot of resources, a lot of time, uh, and so uh, that's the that is the sort of the reality in, in many other countries is there's not the ability to plead, and so everyone uh, goes to trial, and so that is that is the uh, one of the root sort of issues of this case backlog, which is causing that time period we're talking about that that five, six, seven year period is you're just basically waiting for your number to be called. Uh, because of their case backlog. Uh, and so that is the when when I was when I'm saying we have helped them uh, with sort of justice sector reforms, that is one of the main things. Uh, and one of the first things we uh, we work on in nations we partner with. So in Uganda, we helped them. Uh, we worked alongside them to pass uh, plea bargaining uh, legislation so that uh, those accused of crimes would be able to uh, plead guilty. And And it's been wildly effective. So, um, the, we, I think we just heard for the first time this last year that in Uganda, the the percentage of, uh, their percentage of people on remand or people on pretrial detention is under 50% for the first time, uh, you know, uh, which is a, a drastic decrease from, from what it was 10 years ago. So, um, plea bargaining is, is a big piece of it. And so, but yeah, that's the reality you have, you know, we, and we see every time we're in the prisons is, is people who have been sitting in prison for five six years and, and and the important thing to note here is these are often people who whose crime who they have been accused of the the uh, maximum punishment is less than the amount uh, of time that they have already spent in prison so we run into people every year every time we go into the prisons who you know maybe stole a loaf of bread for their hungry family got caught were arrested. Were put in prison, and the maximum sentence for their, you know, their crime could be uh, a fine or a couple of weeks. But they've been sitting in prison for two years, uh, just because they haven't had the ability just to say, "I want to plead guilty and I want to go home." Uh, and so that is the sort of the the root issue that we are uh, working to solve.
0: And I'm following following from that. Also, I imagine. I mean, if you're going to have a trial four or five years after. Uh, after it supposedly uh, the crime supposedly happened i imagine memories fade right you, uh, evidence fades people's memories fade
1: absolutely absolutely yeah that's a it's a it's a huge issue uh you know uh, after a couple of years obviously or i mean even less than that i mean evidence goes stale uh witnesses disperse they move they move around and so it, it really just causes a really difficult uh situation for uh people accused of crimes people who you might be your uh corroborating or exonerating witness all of a sudden five six years later can you get a hold can you get a hold of them uh, and if you can't you're just sort of uh, out of luck and so uh, we, we are really working to change that we we want to take um uh, you know two things really we want to uh take the uh, average time to trial from you know five six seven years to uh, you know, one year or less. And we want to take uh, really the average time to to speak to an attorney, uh, which, you know, historically has been the same amount of time it takes to get to trial. Uh, you know, in, in Uganda, their citizens have the, the constitutional right to an attorney 30 days before trial. And so they are provided an attorney, a pro bono attorney, um, you know, Constitutionally, thirty days before trial, I think in practice it it tends to be you know a week or two before trial. Um, but that's after you've been sitting, uh, you know, in prison for for three, four, five years, right? Uh, and so we want to take you know the average time to speak with an attorney from from years to, to days. Uh, and so that is is our current project with uh, the Ug- Ugandan government. They they are now. Uh, Amazing at plea bargaining, so they do it. You know they're they're unbelievable, uh, and our our new project uh, in partnership with them is is helping uh, to come alongside them to start their first public defender's office. They have the the thirty day constitutional right to an attorney, but there's not that's all done through pro bono sort of legal aid organizations, where we are looking to help them start an actual public defender's office, such that anybody who's accused of a crime, who's arrested. And put into sort of a, t- a detention facility we will speak with an attorney uh, within, you know, seventy-two hours, um, and and we think if we can accomplish that goal, uh, we will uh, not only uh, be providing a, 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 an immense service to to people by uh, giving them legal representation immediately, we'll also just uh, cut be able to cut out the uh, just the really really bad unjust cases that we're seeing all the time. We're going to the prisons and. We're in an adult prison, and when you're and we're looking at a kid, and you're like, "You are, you are 15. You are not an adult. Like, how how are you in here? Or, you know, you you have been you you have been in here for six years, and, and the maximum sentence for your crime is is six weeks. How how did this happen? You know, so if we can, uh, now that the plea bargaining is is uh, available, uh, now we're working to build the defense capacity to to really actually advocate for everybody. Full stop.
0: Mm-hmm. really really interesting really really interesting now if you're looking at trying to shorten shorten the the time lag between an accusation and somebody seeking um, being able to connect with a lawyer with a defender if you're looking to shorten that somebody would say well yeah well where are you going to get the the funds to do that and so forth Uh, something lingering in the back of my head while i was listening to you is that uh, the cost of keeping somebody incarcerated for a prolonged period of time is not insignificant right I don't know if you've done the math, but does do do things sort of balance out or at least even possibly work out better financially in terms of a country saying, yep, yeah, we'll invest on a public defender system uh and hopefully reduce the vast amounts of people we have incarcerated?
1: Yeah, we we work we are working currently with a with a PhD economist to sort of model these things. And and I think the numbers show that in the long run, it's actually cheaper for them. Exactly to your point. You know, housing feeding uh, medical care for thousands of people uh, in prisons is is expensive and yes the the startup cost to a public defender's office is is decently high but we're also uh, one of the things I, I would note is we're we're very conscious of how we're doing things We we are we are not by any means trying to copy and paste some sort of system we have in the West. We are trying to bring this general principle that everyone deserves access to justice. Everyone deserves a fair shake. You know, the UN Declaration of Human Rights, Article 3. You know, everyone has the right to life, liberty, security of person, Article 9. No one shall be subjected to arbitrary arrest, detention. Like Those are the things we think are just bedrock principles. How it's done, we, we want it to be done in the most... You know Ugandan centric sustainable way and so uh, we that is why everything we do we do it in partnership with local leadership. Uh, We're we're certainly not coming in saying, hey, this is the model, you have to do it this way, rather we're saying here's the principles let's work together as friends and partners to achieve these goals that we that we all agree are are worthy of pursuing. And so I mean practically that way that sort of looks right now is we work with the, you know, the Supreme Court of Uganda and some of our counterparts to we're, we're designing a system that is sustainable for Uganda right now. And that is taking into account some of their uh, they have some sort of uh, I don't know if pro bono bar is the right way to the right way to say it, but they have a, a year after you graduate law school where you have to do some service. Uh, and so we're trying to use several different resources to create a system that is providing you know touches to every everybody entering the system in the most sustainable way and so uh, to be clear we we are running the pilot project right now we're we're running this for the public defender project we're running a pilot project in one district uh, and now we have gotten the go ahead from their government to, we need to we need to replicate this to about five or six more districts over the next couple of years and so we do some cost sharing on that but we're working to raise the funds to do that to run to run it as a pilot phase for uh, about you know three to five years to then take it to parliament and basically say we've been we've been running this for five years uh, you know this is the data you, you you actually can't afford to not pass this and so and so that's our goal is to really in, in five years exit plan hand it off to them and it be full ugandan-led you know ugandan funded yeah
0: And in terms of the funding right now how are you seeking your funding what are um how are you getting funding for this
1: yeah so the title of the organization so sudro Global justice institute Uh, so a an amazing woman by the name of laura sudro uh, she's an uh, alum of the law school uh, just a fantastic advocate with a huge heart she she made an amazing donation about four or five years ago to our institute um, that is uh, Basically, you know, makes up our our budget, and that we're able to provide these services free of charge to um, these countries. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of there's a lot of rule law sort of organizations, many of which you know tend to charge for you know at least some of the trainings or services, and we're just in a really unique position where um, we don't have to charge for some of those things. You know, we don't have to charge you know countries to come and train their judiciary, train their judges. Uh, and those sorts of uh, things. Now that being said, you know our, our our budget is is maxed out. We we can't on our budget run a Ugandan public defender system. Um, so right now through our own budget, we're you know we are able in with the cost sharing with the Ugandans, we are able to uh, run the pilot project in a couple uh, in a couple of districts. But that's sort of the phase I'm at now. Is sort of actively seeking to raise funds to to really scale this thing nationwide. And so, uh, yeah, we're, I would say as a, as a, as an NGO in general, we're in a great position in that we're not necessarily having to, you know, raise funds to keep the lights on, which is a huge, huge deal. Um, but at the same time, we have uh, these, these huge, you know, projects in scope in and Uganda and Ghana, uh, and, and, and soon to be uh, Nigeria as well, uh, where it's it's really just a matter of like the the buy-in is there um the everything we need is there we just need the funds to uh to really start scaling things up which is which is really exciting Uh, and it's turned turned my job into uh definitely uh fundraising uh heavy which is which is great it's exciting to share the vision because i just believe in it so much
0: excellent excellent what's the feedback what's the feedback so far that you're getting on the ground from the um uh, those in the justice system those who represent victims those who represent uh individuals who've been accused what what's the feedback from from, from the front lines
1: the, the feedback is is you know just across the board amazing uh, one it's actually one of my favorite things we uh part of what we do i mentioned that we that i go several times a year right, about quarterly to africa and we we bring attorneys, so we we um, we bring typically uh, about ten attorneys or so, depending on the trip. Uh, so we bring uh, American or whoever attorneys, not not just Americans, whoever w- would like to join us. Uh, and basically, the way it works in, in the prisons when when we go, you know, we have a team of. Uh, we also bring our law students. So obviously, being at a law school, we also have a pedagogical sort of purpose where we are uh, training uh, the next generation of uh, globally minded advocates for justice. Uh, And so, yeah, our work actually provides a lot of um, incredible opportunities for the law students at at Pepperdine. But uh, so when we go, we bring we bring law students, uh, we bring uh, attorneys. And then so when you're in the prison, if you're a law student, you are working uh, with a a lawyer, you're working, you're paired with a, a lawyer. You're paired with a Ugandan lawyer and a Ugandan law student. So it's all about providing the service, but also this mutual training, mutual learning where the law students are learning from each other and learning from the Ugandan and American or, you know, uh, Western attorneys. Um, and so it, that that's just one of my uh, really favorite things is every time, every attorney, every law student comes back with just their life change, just the, the ability to go in and to, to see uh, and to to serve and partake in, uh, and, and this is is really incredible. So they're always just blown away, and I'm blown away every time. Every time I'm in there, I'm like, I, how do how do we get to do this? Like this is this is really meaningful uh, and and really life changing. And so feedback that front's always great. On uh, you know our our Ugandan and Ghanaian advocates are uh, just unbelievable, um, and they they are so. It's so inspiring to me to hear their vision and their passion for transformation in, in their own country and providing you know, justice sector access uh, for, for people. It's 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 really inspiring.
0: It's great to hear you have such a rewarding job, such a rewarding uh, position to be in. How did you get into all of this? How did you end up where you are today?
1: Yeah, so coming out of undergrad, um, coming to college, I went to, uh, Baylor University. And then after, you know, after graduating, I did sort of the entrepreneur thing for a couple years, real estate startup with, with a couple of friends. And during that time, I spent a good amount of time overseas and actually uh, a good amount of time in Uganda, you know, working, you know, in uh, basically an orphanage or getting to serve at an orphanage um, and really just fell in love with uh, the country, the people. And what's interesting is sort of like the, the 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 time and the you know this was 2009 2010 2011 so the same time jim was there i obviously didn't know jim at this time but the same time jim was there you know i was i was uh, there as well um and you know this is again post joseph coney in the north of uganda everybody everybody every family has just been ravaged by what's happening you know, child soldiers uh, just really bad situation, and so it was there, really, that I think I got the bug for law school. Was, you know, I, it was it was great to be there and serve, but there's just this thing in me, like I I want to be able to help them in a more meaningful way, whatever that means. I, I want to be able to have the skill set to to not just uh, you know serve by you know and and that capacity, but also help you know pull them out of their circumstance. However, that's possible. And so the, yeah, the bug for law school kind of got in me and then started doing my research and come to find out, you know, I'm from Dallas, uh, not from California. So come to find out that uh, Pepperdine is, you know, you know, and do my research, Pepperdine's working with the Ugandan government to, to, to drive change, uh, you know, in, in partnership and friendship and the model is just amazing. And and now, yeah, I would just say, Back to the model. It's like one of the coolest parts about all of this is is that is that we are great friends with all of our partners. So when we go to Uganda, we're you know we're sitting in the homes of these you know, nations' leaders. You know when they come, they come and visit uh, us often for sort of strategic meetings, and you know I you know have some of their justices and you know top government leaders in their home in my home holding my kids. It's just amazing you know friendships. So the model is just awesome. Uh, so anyway, uh, that was sort of the 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 bug of okay I, like Pepperdine's it like're they're, they're doing this this seems like a, a match for for my passion so I ended up going to law school and uh, obviously meeting Jim gash um, who who was sort of the pioneer of the institute uh, at least to where it is today and kind of became a mentor to me and would would bug him often uh you know saying something to the effect of hey if you ever get tired of this amazing job you have where you're you know getting to pour into students and getting to you know, pour into, uh, you know, use your skill set to uh, help people around the world. Like, just let me know, cause I'll I'll be ready after law school. Just you know, that sort of thing. And he was always just, I'm sure, just like this kid, you know. Uh, but his advice was always, you know, go work at a, um, go work at a law firm, get some experience, um, so you have a skill set to offer. Um, so that's what I did. I ended up going to, um, you know, work at a, yeah, I was last at Kirkland and Ellis, just a you know major international law firm doing, you know, corporate work, but really uh, tried to do as much pro bono work as I could to sort of feed this appetite. And so I was always, I was curious going into this, like, is I, am passionate about this other type of work, you know, how, how can I keep my fire, you know, burning for this? And, um, you know, I, my first, I, I remember passing the bar exam, starting work, and then there's sort of like a gap between you know passing the bar exam and then like finding out when you get it so uh, or when you you know with the, the results and so i started work in september and then you know got word in like early november that i passed and then you know made a uh, a date to get sworn in by a judge and so i got sworn in like on a friday in november and martin you've already started work at this law firm and uh on it was over the weekend, and I'm, I was down visiting my wife's family in um, San Antonio, and I get, we get an email from a partner in our law firm. Says, you know, I was based out of Dallas, but we, you know, we were down in San Antonio, and the part in the you know, email says, "Hey, there's uh, there's a there's a woman who is in uh, this immigration detention facility on the south southern border of Texas. She has an emergency appeal uh, on on Monday." Um, you know and it's basically a situation where if she loses this appeal she's going to be deported and sent back this is like now thanksgiving week um and if she wins she's going to get to stay in the states for the duration of, of the, the asylum appeal uh which is a big deal uh we we need somebody to take this on monday is anyone is anyone you know available and i i'm literally this new associate I've just gotten sworn into the bar on on friday and i and i sent an email back and i just say you know i i literally just got sworn into the bar um on friday but I'm here in san antonio and i'm and i'm willing if you think i can do it uh and you know started the exchange like we believe in you you know got on the call got some training so I show up on this court on monday morning and get to uh represent this woman and her child who are um, in a really hard situation and getting end up getting to you know win the 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 appeal and it was a great outcome but like from that moment it was like literally my first day of actually being an attorney it just was just this reminder of like okay this is like this is what I want to do, and so anyway, I spent the next you know couple of years um, trying to do as much of that work as I could until uh, you know really a couple a couple of years ago, um, which I think was unexpected you know, from everybody. But the the president of Pepperdine, who had been the president for you know 20 years, an amazing man Andy Benton, uh, retired, uh, and then Jim threw his his name in the hat uh, and was elected president. So uh, they were sort of in a pinch of needing someone to come lead the Institute. Uh, and, and they called me and asked if I would be, you know, willing to move back to, to California to do this, which was a little bit hard. My wife and I have got young kids and both of our families are in Dallas. So there was some sort of, uh, you know, like this is going to be tough, but uh, I don't think there was, there's ever been a quicker, yes, you know, at least in my heart, like, this is what I want to do. So really just a, a dream opportunity. And that's sort of been the, the journey
0: great story and uh great vibe as well this is sounds really cool tell me what's that key takeaway you'd love to share with our with our uh, listeners what's the key takeaway you'd love from for them to keep in mind after the episode yeah
1: i think the key takeaway is is really uh, is is being aware of uh, what's going on around the world beyond our own circumstances you know um, this access to justice pretrial detention access to legal counsel issue is a silent pandemic just as much as we're seeing the pandemic with covid and it's very much in front of us um it's a silent pandemic there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are you know sitting in um really really hard spots in in prison for crimes they did not commit and don't actually have any way to fight for themselves they're just just waiting so i think just awareness because these are but the thing that gets me really excited about this is is these are solvable problems. You know, there there are some bigger issues out there, like you know hunger and some of the you know other things that are just like really, really, really complex. But there's actually some really um, doable and um, you know achievable solutions that will that will that will um, alleviate some of this hurt. Uh, and and so I think. I really I really think just awareness and being aware of what's
0: happening and raising your voice makes a huge difference. Great. Well, Cameron, here's to your continued success. And uh I, I really wish you the best with the work that you're doing and to bigger and better things. To our audience, thank you for listening. And uh you've been listening to Cameron McCollum, who's a director of the Sudra Global Justice Institute at Pepperdine University's School of Law uh cameron really great a good learning experience for me as well uh you've shed a lot of light on on a topic that's very important well thank you alberto it's such a pleasure to be on the podcast perfect and that's a wrap thanks very much for joining us on the do one better podcast as always please click that subscribe button if you haven't already and please share widely with others as well it makes a huge difference indeed for a full transcript of today's conversation, just visit our website at That's lidji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot where you'll be able to find information about this episode and also over a hundred conversations with remarkable folks. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next week.